How how are things at at our rival escape room? Ah, uh, they're great and filled with COVID. I had COVID, and oh. I spent most of the last week watching six-hour YouTube recaps of Danganronpa, and uh, because that's the only thing my brain could really process at the time. Yeah, and yeah. what was weird was like I was really trying to max relax, all cool, and I just kept mm. getting these text messages from you, Brian, from me, and you, Josh, uh, and oh. our friend Greg. Uh huh. That just said Brian has a boo boo. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I do. Yeah. You Brian know what a... I had? COVID. <laughs> COVID could be considered a form of boo boo when you think about it. Yeah. Like when you really yeah. think about it. Yeah. Wow. AJ, you don't understand. Like I, I kind of like cut my finger right like where <laughs> the the corner of the fingernail grows, mm-hmm. which makes it like it's a. It really wasn't that bad, but it's a little funny. It feels funny mm. still. Yeah, yeah, you know what else feels funny? My brain, yeah. because I still have brain fog. And one thought may connect to the next. We'll see. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the worst of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast where one thought may connect to the next. We'll see. I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. And I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. We are so excited to have you back here with us for another delightful week. Today, we are digging up that lost classic that's not lost at all. In fact, they just put out a remake very recently. Mm -hmm. Uh, The LucasArts adventure game. Day of the Tentacle. Yeehaw. This is this game is basically an urtext for my entire sense of humor. I played mm. this game when I think I was maybe six or seven years old. It was like one of the first things I played after playing like the humongous games, which, sure. you know. The uh, humongous games? Yeah, the humongous entertainment, edutainment games. So Pop oh, yeah. Goes to the Moon, Pop Goes to the Zoo, those sort of Putt, things. Putt. Okay, yeah, yeah, I gotcha. Did you play those, Brian? I don't know if i ever played putt putt what we had on like the school i mean i didn't have a lot of computer games uh my parents were always worried that like putting games on the computer would break it Mm. uh (laughs) or they would like buy a game and it didn't fit the specs buying buying games for computers back then was especially confusing it was a real gamble that's true yeah just very disappointing all around um much easier to get consoles which we also didn't have <laughs> for a My long mom time. was very scared about consoles because oh. she was just like, all every video game that you play has to have a purpose. You have to be learning something from oh. these video games. So uh-huh. I was stuck in like the jumpstart fourth grade, jumpstart fifth grade yeah. track, yeah, yeah, the yeah. math blaster track, because she was just like, if you're gonna be spending time in front of a screen, it should be towards sure. getting uh, towards your education. And yeah. these were sort sort of snuck in there in the crack so i played things like day of the tentacle and the dig which was oh yeah very spielberg very yeah. yeah 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 and this game in i mean this game was like I, I i replayed this game i think six or seven times in a row like okay. it was it was I, I i would purposely like not solve puzzles and just like exhaust dialogue trees sure. just because you wanted, wanted to hang with my friends yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my yeah my experience with point and click games as a kid was definitely in that edutainment tradition, but it was on computers that we had at school, so it was all, all, almost universally, Magic School Bus uh, Oh, software. yeah. Oh, yeah. Micro- same the, same the basic Microsoft yeah. made yeah. back in the day. Yeah. 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 So, like, you know, that. it was, 
with those, it was point and click on stuff, but there wasn't necessarily like a cohesive thing that you had to get all the magic school bus kids to do. Right. You didn't have to like find a certain object, combine it with another one, make sure that Carlos makes a joke so bad that it will, you know, knock someone out or whatever. (laughs) That would be amazing. Carlos. Uh, and. Uh, and but you you know you click on things and you observe them and you learn little facts about them and that that was basically my my experience with that kind of stuff until I was a teenager and uh, started subscribing to the, there was a British magazine called Retro Gamer that would include demos of oh, old yeah. ass games oh, like Demo yeah, yeah, yeah. Steel Sky mm-hmm. um, stuff like that and that those were the games that I played and Brian you never actually played Day of the Tentacle before. We did it for this episode. No, right? I, cool. I had I had heard of Day of the Tentacle. I knew it was a sequel to Maniac Mansion. I had played neither of those games. I, I haven't even played the old Monkey Island games. <laughs> to okay, be I honest haven't with either. You. So uh, I'm kind of halfway huge... between the two of you um, mm. because I grew up playing humongous games, um, okay. which, yeah. of course, was a studio comprised of people who came largely from LucasArts. Yeah, um, Josh, so, did you ever play Fatty Bear? Absolutely. Fatty Bear, Pup Pup, Pajama Sam, Spy Fatty Fox, Bear. He's preparing for that it. birthday. Where's he going to get that banner from? It's uh, under he's, the he's stairs. Got, he's he's got to bake a cake. <laughs> I have gotta to bake, bake a, a cake. I have he to bake this cake to. for Kayla's birthday party. The, I, I'm like, I'm the AJ of this episode. I have no idea <laughs> I know what's going great. on. It's great. I think when I was like a teenager, I started uh, getting into the like full blown Lucas Arts adventures. So sure. Indiana Jones, any of the Indiana Jones? Not indie, but I did play the Monkey Island games. Really love Curse of Monkey Island, uh, as Amazing. well as Full Throttle, and of course Day of mm-hmm. the Tentacle. Mm-hmm. So. Going back to this game for me, this was the first time that I played this game probably in 10 or even 15 years. So there was definitely some memory of the puzzle design and the puzzle structure in my head of like weird things that I just remember because like, what the fuck? And we'll get to that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) With that that said, some of this was totally fresh again, and I had a lot of fun with it. Oftentimes on this show, we talk about just absolute dire shit like last week when we did God's Not Dead. (laughs) So it's kind of fun to be back in the realm of something that's actually entertaining and enjoyable. Kevin Sorbo Actually, I found his performance to be more convincing than any of the like actors he was paired with. So the movie's whole sure. point yeah. about him being a hack was actually disproved by his performance being better than everyone around him. So that's yeah, a low bar, though. I, I know mean, it's a low bar, but I mean, when in that movie, you have to find something to cling on to. I had forgotten about the racism entirely. Yeah. Yeah. AJ's also a big Reddit atheist, you know, Got it. Yeah, watches yeah, yeah, Bill yeah. Maher every week, you know, so like that. Look, that's he tells it like it is. Well, <laughs> he's not afraid. <laughs> Look. In this moment, I am euphoric because we get to talk about Day of the Tentacle. <laughs> yes. And there's no better place to start than by talking about the historical background behind LucasArts, the company yes. that made this game. Yes, it is now known as Lucasfilm Games as of 2021. Because oh, like it, it used to be called. Wait, yeah, I, thought because, it, I thought it was I thought it was gone. I thought it dissolved. No, no. Disney rebranded it because they want that sweet re- reboot money. They're seeing oh, the success yeah. of things like the remaster okay. of Day of the Tentacle. Oh, and, and just like Disney... LucasArts or Lucasfilm Games as it originally was, is now, but wasn't when this game came out, uh, is also named after a guy. That's also a last name, right? Lucas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Filmmaker? 
Yes, yeah, a, that's perhaps true. a filmmaker uh, <laughs> behind behind beside uh, some sort of war in the stars. Uh, uh, found a film studio. Apparently, they're real <laughs> up and comers in the space. <laughs> yeah, real indie. They're really gonna. I think they're really gonna make it big someday. They are they're really just, indie, actually. Yeah. Uh, Lucasfilm uh, Games uh, was founded in uh, 1982 because George by George Lucas himself. By because, George. By George. George Lucas wanted to expand beyond the movie industry. Uh, just as Episode Six was hitting theaters, right? He was yeah. wrapping up his trilogy. He was like. I want to expand beyond this. We've invented all of this technology to make all these graphics for film. What if we like actually put that towards like the burgeoning market of computer games? So yeah. LucasArts, as we know, it is actually a spinoff of the Lucasfilm computer division, which had mm-hmm. two factions within it. The computer games group, which would go on to form LucasArts and the graphics group, which would later become Pixar. Yep. I did not know this. <laughs> Turns out George Lucas is kind of an important guy. You, you can laugh at it because his, yeah, he's not always the best filmmaker, but like the dude's a pioneer, right? Well, and right. that's the thing about George Lucas in general that a lot of people don't seem to understand is the reason that he succeeded is not on the strength of his artistic vision, although he certainly did have an artistic vision. It's mm-hmm, on the right. strength of his entrepreneurship because this is a country that rewards people who know how to do business. You know, yeah. yes. we talked about that with the example of Susan Kane, where uh, Orson Welles was just really good at getting people's attention and doing deals. Yeah. Similar situation here with LucasArts, where this started out as just like a little game studio where it's like, hey, let's play around with this nascent medium of games and see what happens. And right. over time grew into a bigger and bigger property within Lucasfilm. But they were doing wild stuff in yeah. the 80s. Yeah. Just like truly it's cutting so- edge shit interesting because star wars already had video game licenses right they couldn't yeah. actually make a star wars game or an indiana jones game at the beginning because because they were licensed out right to, atari you know, had the rights to star wars yeah, yeah. and, right. and, and right. you know atari. that's famous, a great game by the way arcade, the, uh, the arcade yeah. cabinet original yeah. star wars so they just took that revenue that they were making from these licensed star wars games and were like well let's just try something out let's just make a game and so the first game that they made is one that people may not actually be aware of it was called ball blazer (laughs) i'll say she is Uh, (laughs) that one came out in 1985 for the uh, atari i think it was just called the atari 8-bit i never i can never keep my atari system straight there's too many of them a lot of numbers they released another one called rescue on fractalus (laughs) where you're on fractalus and you're rescuing some stuff uh, yeah. Like we've played this game. We've all we all have yeah. knowledge of fractalus. We all love this game. Yeah, <laughs> we're all yeah. fract heads here. Yes. <laughs> if you're a fract head, sound, sound off in the comments. Yeah, yeah. So those games were 1985. Then we get to uh, 1986, and they actually license a, a movie that George Lucas was executive producer on, Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a graphic adventure, like a Sierra game. But unlike a Sierra game, it does not use a text parser. You Mm -hmm. are scrolling through your options and clicking on those options the same way that you click on the stuff on the screen. Right. Yes. So they would continue to expand on this concept. And their first, like, I think, really true big hit other than Labyrinth, which was pretty successful, was Maniac Mansion. Maniac Mansion comes out in 1987 Big breakthrough technologically because now it is a fully graphical adventure. You are pointing and clicking anywhere you want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's also the first LucasArts game to be released on MS-DOS. Yes. And this game is built on something called the Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion, or SCUM. SCUM is the engine that is going to power all of these LucasArts games all the way up through Curse of Monkey Island in 1997. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... 
uh, was the same engine used to power the humongous entertainment games. You could really say that LucasArts was a hive of scum and villainy. You could say that. You definitely could say yeah. that. It was this scum technology that allowed LucasArts to really leapfrog Sierra in the adventure game space because Sierra were, were the first pioneers of this stuff, with like King's Quest and stuff like that. Yeah, and Torin's Passage. Anyone play <laughs> Torin's Passage? There's a yeah. part in that game where you have to climb along a rock wall and if if you don't climb in the exact way, you fall to your death. Yeah, and, and that's the Sierra game problem. They're all bullshit. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And this is also the other major advancement that LucasArts was able to make through their game design because in Maniac Mansion, you can still lose. There are ways that you can lose. There are ways yeah. that you can die. But from basically the 90s onward, like from the beginning of the 90s onward, the LucasArts philosophy is that you can't do anything in the game that through trial and error will just cause you to fail. You yeah. cannot ha like get locked mm. out of the game or not realize, oh God, you know, I clicked this one thing and now I can't get back into here because I did this thing. Instead, right. it's about how do we make the games work in such a way that the player has complete control and can try mm. as many things as they want without being afraid of the consequences. Yeah. yeah. So talking about Maniac Mansion in particular, this was a game that was sort of based on early 60s, late 50s, cheesy sci-fi, right? You have mm -hmm. this meteor that lands and it takes over kind of the minds of the people in this house. Um, right. You have these walking tentacles who live in the house who are like sort of little Igor type characters. You, you are selecting from like a list of verbs. Now, this game still has some of this old school design that when you look at the 90s, this doesn't exist. But when you go further back, you have it a lot where there's multiple endings. Right. There's, right. Uh, you can play as three characters and you're switching between the three of them out of six. So you have all these other characters who have different abilities, who have different puzzles. But you do have occasional deaths or imprisonments. And you have yeah. uh, something that we refer to these days as soft locks. Right. Right. Where right. you might just do something, have no idea that it has done something bad. And instead of a death where you could just reload your save because you know it's over, you can just get to a point much later in the game where it's like, no, you you tore that envelope open the wrong way and you right. tore up what was inside. So fuck you. Brian, did you play this game? Did you play Maniac Mansion? Uh, I, I played a little bit of it. It's too much at the top. I, I just mm -hmm. I couldn't I couldn't wrap yeah. my head around it. Um, yeah. But I did. I, I was watching some some keynote speeches and and listening to some. Oh, interviews. did you like listen to Ron Gilbert actually talk about it? Yeah, the creator of the yeah. Game? He does a really great yeah. talk about it, and he talks about like those those lost situations just came from a lack of of QA. They didn't right. have any testers, right. right? It was just like two or three guys making it at Skywalker Ranch, playing through it, and being like, "Oh, here's a fun idea for how we could make a new system. Let's put a hamster in the microwave, et cetera, et cetera." Well, and, and, and yeah. to the point of QA or lack thereof, like it, it is hard to overstate just how small of a market computer games were in in the mid '80s, 1987. Like, I mean, you come could, on, you could sell a thousand copies, and that was a hit. 10,000 yeah. yeah. was a smash, you know, and, and yeah. one of the things that made scum work so well is that you could port really, really easily, right? You didn't have to change the engine around. It was mostly just figuring out how to how to shift things on the graphics. Um, right. And the most popular version of Maniac Mansion was not the original Commodore 64 version. It was the NES yes. version. Uh, which oh, looks way worse. But it's like if you go to YouTube and yeah. you watch people doing Let's Plays of it, it's the NES yeah, version. Yeah, speedruns too. It's a, it's a yeah. favorite in the speedrunning community for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I watched a speedrun of Day to the Tentacle. Somebody did it in 20 minutes. And I'm mm. just like, and I, actually, I think the new record is 15. And it was done by a, a German man. Okay. And 
it, because this uh, this game is huge in Germany, which we will the absolutely Germans get to. Yeah. Basically, it takes six years for Day of the Tentacle to get made after Maniac Mansion premieres. In the in the interim, they do Monkey Islands one and two, where Gary Winnick and Ron Gilbert, who were the original creators of Maniac Mansion, bring on two young upstart writers named Tim Schaefer, who you will know if you know uh, video games of any variety. He created uh, Psychonauts. He created mm-hmm. Psychonauts two. He created Broken Age. Brutal legend. He's one of the more reliable comedic writers in the mm-hmm. field, too, or comedic directors. Oh, like his, you you know when you're going to play a Tim Schafer game, even something like Broken Age, you know you're going to be playing a game that is pretty pretty funny. I think Brutal Legend is a very underrated game, and it's got great performances, and, and it's a very funny. They brought on Tim Schafer and Dave Grossman, more like Dave Gross. That's, Ma- oh, oh, that's wait. already, Fuck. yeah. They thought that uh, their sense of humor would actually lend itself well to Maniac Mansion and whether it was just sort of their innate sense of humor or it was because they worked with them on two monkey islands in a row that like they just created this sort of shared language of comedy. Mm -hmm. Who's to say? But basically they set out to make a game that was as close to a Chuck Jones cartoon as possible. And I will say, too, that shared comedic sensibility carries through into the humongous games, too, because Ron Gilbert left. After, I think it was Monkey Island 2 to found Humongous. And if yeah. you go play those Freddy Fish games, holy shit, there are a lot, lot, lot of Tim Sa- Tim Schafer style jokes in there. Yeah. Even though Schaefer was not working on those games. And mm. and it's it's worth noting that Gilbert is not working on Day of the Tentacle. It started right. with his like pitch. It was like, hey, LucasArts, like this is the next thing that we want to do. But then he went and started his own studio yeah. and put these two guys in charge. They all sat in a room together, all four of them, and they cracked that it wanted they wanted it to be like a time travel adventure. Mm. Yeah. And that was kind of it. And then he went off to do humongous games. June 25 of 1993, Day of the Tentacle is released for PC. Up until this point, adventure games, people have been having fun with them. You know, you've got the Monkey Island games. You've got Loom, stuff like that. Different sort of sensibilities. The thing that Day of the Tentacle is praised for doing so effectively is building this really impressive cartoonish world that Mm -hmm. just feels like you're stepping into a Saturday morning cartoon. And this is the thing Mm -hmm. that the reviewers are constantly praising about it is just the the wit and the clear love given to this world building. And it was a highly collaborative process making it too. like they would just walk around the office and be like, hey, even people who weren't even working on Day of the Tentacle being like, hey, so we're in this situation with this puzzle. How do you how would you get out of it? And they'd like yeah. pitch something and be like, great. And they would take it and run with it. They called those pizza orgies. <laughs> Remember, this is still the old days of video game design. Yeah, kind yeah. Of sausage fest. Uh, they would invite people over from other parts of the studio. And I think from even outside the studio, but people who were not working on the game, but who weren't necessarily QA testers either. Sure. And they'd yeah. sit them in the living room, have them play a section. And then just see where people were like, I don't know what to do now and figure out, like, how how do we make this more elegant? How do we mm-hmm. communicate the uh, the solutions or the hints at the very least across to people a lot better? It's a very important thing. It's something that we do in the escape room industry, too. <laughs> Josh just did a test yeah. last week for yeah, yeah, yeah. something that we were running. It's like, where are people running into walls? Where are they not getting the story? Uh, what can we do to change that? It's a, this collaboration actually like goes into the code of the game in a very interesting way. Mm. There is a random number generator that determines which one of the two directors gets top billing. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Through multiple playthroughs, it'll switch up every single time. Whether between Dave it is and on that card. Between, yeah. Between Dave and Tim. Again, yeah. 
Brian, this was your very first playthrough. Yep. AJ, this was your 10 millionth playthrough. Yep. This was, I think, either my second or third playthrough, but my first in at least 10 years. So Day of the Tentacle begins with a beautiful... Uh, it's what is it? It's Pierre Gint, right? No, it's it's the other morning song. It's it's uh, from William Tell Overture. Right. Okay, William yeah. Tell. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we're and they panning talked over. About they talked about that in the uh, commentary for the game. Oh, really? They're like, yeah. yeah. There's two things you use to convey morning. One is William Tell, and one right. is Pierre Gint. Yeah. And so yeah. we hear that, and you know, we're panning over this house and this pastoral landscape, and there's a bird that flies on by, and then the bird starts choking and we see that there's this river and sludge is just being pumped into this fucking river. And as we look at the river flowing with sludge, two tentacles, a purple tentacle and a green tentacle appear from behind a tree. And we hear this. (laughs) I'm coming. Mm, I'm thirsty. I don't think you should drink that. He drinks it. It looks bad for you. Nonsense. It makes me feel great, smarter, more aggressive. <laughs> it's so loud. I feel like I could. <laughs> so he starts like transforming, right? right? Purple right. tentacle begins freaking out. Yes. Is... <laughs> so dumb. Like I could. And then he grows two little arms. Teeny tiny little arms. Take on the world. Lightning in the background. Green yep. tentacle is, is is shivering in his suction cup. Yeah. So uh, this is the original audio. Uh huh. The good audio. Some, yeah. some of these sound effects are quite loud in the mix. <laughs> um, some of the music. This music sounds fine. Some of the music I, I thought was very grating in the original audio. Um, when you play the remake the remaster or whatever it's called. It's very modular. You can play with the modern graphics, with uh, the original graphics. You can play with the modern interface or uh, the original interface and with the sound effects and music switched out, whether it's old or new. The modern graphics don't look great to me. Uh, It looks like it just went through an AI upscaler, and I don't know if that's actually the case, but that is what it looks like. It feels indistinct. The graphics of the original just pop like the all the elements of them stick out you know which things you're supposed to interact with you know what your characters are they 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 have a real dimension to them even if they have a low pixel count well and it is a low pixel count because these early LucasArts adventure games have a resolution of 320 by 200 pixels Hey there, you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of The Worst of All Possible Worlds. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this, head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash worstofall. And you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes. And if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worstofall. Hope to see you there.